so glad you're at Parkview this weekend. We're bringing the 70s back. I hope you like the 70s. I like the 70s. Rock Opera at Church, that's pretty good too. Anyway, really glad you're here at Parkview this weekend. My name is Chad. I'm the campus pastor here. We're thrilled that you're here. Those around the building and even online with us, thank you for joining us. You know, there's a lot happening around here at Parkview. And so the best way to stay in touch and to know what's happening week to week is to go out to our webpage, parkviewchurch.info. In fact, everything I share with you today is right there on that page. You know, a great way to connect around here and to grow in your relationship with Jesus is by getting involved in a small group. We love small groups around here, and we're offering a variety of groups right now, uh, including things like Quest 52. If you've heard about Quest 52, it's this new devotional guide that we're going through as a church. We started last week. Uh, we've got tons of groups that are getting together, and we would love for you to join one. Uh, the fastest way for you to do that is to take out your phone, text GROUPS to 65649, and you'll get access to a tool called Find Your People. And on that tool, you'll get to experience all the small groups that we're offering all different days of the week, all throughout our community. So don't miss out. Check out groups uh, right there on the webpage. Secondly, if you're newer to our church, maybe you've been here for a while, uh, you've started to come, you're a little bit newer, and you'd kind of like to get to know a little bit more about the church, we would love to get to know you, quite honestly. And next Sunday, we're going to have an event called Welcome to Parkview, January 22nd at 10 a.m. It's a perfect way for you to just kind of get introduced to the church and for us to get to know you as well. We'd love to have you come. Uh, you do need to register. It's at next Sunday, like I said, at 10 a.m. Please come check it out. We'd love to get a chance to meet you. So uh, my check engine light came on recently. Yeah, you can feel bad for me. It's okay, I know. Go ahead. Everyone kind of, you know, you can sigh. Look, just don't know this. When your check engine light comes on, it's an indication that something's wrong. Here's what's crazy. It's a good vehicle. I mean, it's new-er. And, you know, it's got good mileage, and for the most part, it runs great. But even after I take great care of it, I invest into it over and over and over again, that little check engine light is there to remind me that my investment in that hunk of metal is pretty much a negative return. Am I right? Wouldn't it be great if they just made cars that the more you invested into them, the newer they got? I mean, where, where all those rust spots would just suddenly disappear? Well, here, check this out. This is from Matthew chapter 6. Store up your treasures in heaven where neither moss nor rust destroys. So God, what you're telling me is there's cars in heaven. That's a really good deal. Here's my point. 153 students showed up last Sunday here at our winter rally. Isn't that an incredible number? That's amazing. And we're really excited about it. And tonight we're getting together again. So if you're a student, you gotta come check out uh, Student Ministries here tonight at seven o'clock. But the reason I say that is we can't put on experiences like that unless people like you continue to give and support the mission of our church. And you guys are doing it, and I just wanna say thank you because 150 kids showed up last weekend, and it's such a good thing that we're investing into the lives of the next generation. So I wanna invite you to be a part of it. Join with us, join in and give this weekend. We'd love for you to do it. There's three ways you could do that. You could just text GIVE to 65649 on your phone, and you can give right through a text message. Uh, the second way is just jump out to our website. You can give right there online. Uh, or right in front of you, there's a white giving envelope. You could put a gift in there and leave it at the door as you leave. However you do it, guys, thank you so much for investing in the lives of students around here. It's so cool to be a part of. Guys, we're thrilled you're here. We get to sing now to our great God for all he's done. So let's stand up together and worship our God and celebrate all he is. Good morning, good morning. I hope that you guys are ready to worship with us. You're already here, that's the first step. So I am so excited. Our God is moving this weekend. And he's moving here in this place.
you and extol your name forever and ever. Why? Because great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Now we are called to give our God the glory that is due his name because he alone is worthy. And it's not just like some days or when you're really feeling good, everything's working out, when you've got a lot to give thanks for. It's when we're not feeling it. It's when it's tough, right? Because that's faith. And our circumstances don't change how good our God is. And I mean, we just sang, right? There is nothing that can stand against him. So we're gonna take a moment this morning, just a moment and ask God to open your eyes and show you just a little bit of who he is. Cause he is so good at church. Worthy of every 
you so much that we get to build our life on you, on your rock, on your firm foundation. Lord God, we are worthy of your love. We are worthy of your grace and your mercy. I pray, Father God, that everyone who's walked through these doors this morning feels and knows that, Father God. I pray that your Holy Spirit just rains down on us today. And thank you, Lord, for our freedom that we get to love you, we get to worship you, and we get to praise your name, Jesus. And I just pray this in all your precious and glorious name, we all pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I have the pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, J.R. I have a dream. Lord, that's what we want. We all want a better world for our grandchildren. I love the way that video is laid out. We all want a better world for our grandchildren. And we just want to thank you for the legacy of Dr. King and those who, even as, like we're going to talk about today, as imperfect humans were used by you to bring freedom to our world. We know that in you there is no Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. We know that freedom is supposed to be there for all of us. And Lord, I thank you so much for those who went before us. And I pray that you will be with us as we continue to work towards a better world for our children and our grandchildren. Thank you for the freedom. Be with us as we continue to work on racism in our world and in our country. And we ask that you would be with us and bless us this day in your name. Amen. Well, welcome everybody. Homer Glenn, New Lenox, Orland, um, online. And to those of you in the overflow in the chapel, this is the first time I've said that since before COVID. (laughs) 
You realize, I mean, since the beginning of COVID, I haven't had to say that. I'm so glad that you all are here. And let me encourage you, uh, I've never, I haven't had to do this in a while either. Get out of the 10 o'clock service. <laughs> been, been a while, but you know, I mean, try to come at 8.30, 11.30 at Orland if you can, because, and I know the same thing's going on at New Lenox and Homer too. So uh, just pay attention, try to make some other adjustments if you can. We're doing a series called Jesus, Who Is This Man? And we're using this book called Quest 52. Quest is, Jesus said, that, that the gospel is the pearl of great price, and we're supposed to be on a quest for it, and we're going to take 52. That's how many weeks there are in the year, in case you're like, oh, that's what that was. Yeah, 52. We're doing it for a year, um, and you can get a book in the lobby. You can get it online. You can get it on Kindle. Um, I want, want you to go through it. You, uh, you do the reading. On, I'll preach on it on the weekend. You do the reading on Monday, and then go through some stuff through the week, and here's what what I'm, here's what I'm challenging you with. If you give Jesus a year, he will change your life. I mean, if you give Jesus five minutes, he will change your life. But if you give Jesus a year, I believe that this could be the greatest year of growth for all of us in our life. And my goal for you this time next year is not, however, that you know Jesus better. It's that we are all more like Jesus by the end of next year. So today we're going to talk about the family tree of Jesus. Um, and, and, you know, looking at your family history is always tricky, right? Um, you know, I know, I mean, some of you have done Ancestry.com. Some of you have done, you know, 23andMe. And, and I know people that have found out some stuff they wish they just would have left alone, you know? But, but it's always tricky when you start looking into the genealogy stuff. I read about one story about a guy who was doing his genealogy, and he found out that this, this, this ancestor of hers, his, his great-great-grandfather or whatever, was a bank robber and, like, robbed trains and, and was a horse thief and spent many years in jail and then busted out of jail and ran around and, you know, did some more bad stuff and then got caught again and then was literally hung for it, okay? But he didn't want his genealogy to look bad, so he wrote it this way. Joseph James was a famous cowboy in the Montana Territory. He spent a period of time on the fast track with Wells Fargo. <laughs> his business empire grew to include the acquisition of valuable equestrian assets. He devoted several years of his life to service at a government facility. Finally taking leave to resume his dealings with other equestrian entrepreneurs. Joe James passed away during an important civic function held in his honor when the platform upon which he was standing collapsed. <laughs> you, can, you can always make it sound better, right? Okay. But to get us started, let me ask you this question. Is life random? That's the question that, that we want to ask. I mean, haven't you wondered that from time to time? I don't think, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't think everything happens for a spiritual reason, okay? I don't believe God caused you to get in a fight with your spouse this morning, okay? The reason might be you, knucklehead, so think about it, okay? If you had a flat tire on the way here, it might have been a nail in the road. The most boring college football game that ever happened on Monday night was because one team was way better than the other team. That's the reason. I just feel sorry for you Michigan fans. How embarrassing for you. But there can be purpose in our pain, okay? And it is through that, that, that lens that Matthew begins the gospel about Jesus. He wants to connect the dots for us. He wants us to know that Jesus' birth and Jesus' life was not random. That he's not just some great moral teacher that just popped up on the scene. There's a divine story woven through the life of Jesus. And this is important as we understand who this man is. And ultimately what this means for us is that if the Jesus story isn't random, then maybe my story isn't random either. You may feel disconnected, you may feel without purpose, but God will use every experience in your life for his good. And before I jump into it, let me take a second and explain the four gospels. And because I know if you're new to this, you're like, why is there Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And why they have some stories and they don't have the other ones and all this kind of stuff. You understand that each gospel was a unique literary work, okay? They were their own accounts of what was going on. 
And more importantly, each author emphasized details about the same historical events of Jesus's ministry, but they had a different audience, okay? So I'll put it up here on the, on the screen. Matthew, that we're going to talk about today, was written for the Jews, okay? It was had longer Beatitudes, it has the five discourses, it has a lot more parables, okay? Mark was written to the Romans, which was a mix. It's fast-paced, it's action-oriented, it's the most concise one that there is. Luke is written to the Gentiles. Luke was a doctor. It's got a lot of, a lot of accuracy, a lot of historical accuracy, a lot of things that, that, that he delves into. It's written for the Gentiles and it's, it, it's a history, more of a history book than the rest of them. But the important thing is because he's writing to the Gentiles, he's emphasizing the marginalized. Okay. So it's in Luke that we find the story of the prodigal son. It's in Luke that we find the story of the lost sheep. It's in Luke that we see all the stories about the people, the woman at the well, and the people that were outside of the norm that are being included, all right? And John is written much later. He's the only apostle that wasn't martyred um, early in life. And he's writing much later, and it's a poetic voice. He's the one that also wrote Revelation, remember that. And, and there's a lot of focus in John about the Passion Week, the week before, before Jesus is, is killed, okay? So again, because he's writing to the Jews, we're in Matthew today, and we're doing the genealogy. And let's just be honest, you normally skip this part, Matthew 1, 1 through 18, right? I mean, if you ever started just like reading the Bible, you're like, okay, I'm going to start in Genesis. And it's pretty interesting for a while, right? You know, there's a flood, there's all kinds of stuff going on. But if you start in Matthew, you're like, so-and-so begat so-and-so and and begat so-and-so. And and you're like, wait a minute, what's going on? And so you skip on up. And honestly, um, you know, there's not going to be a test when you get to the pearly gates. Okay, God doesn't care if you know the genealogy, all right? But genealogies were a big deal to the Jews. Because there was a bigger God story going on, okay? And they were connected to God's salvation. So so they weren't just random names. They were stories. They were stories that had names. This is the genealogy, Matthew 1.1, of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The word Messiah is actually a title, okay? Um, and, And it's also translated Christ. It means anointed one or chosen one. So the very first sentence in the New Testament makes a very bold claim. He introduces Jesus to the Jews who've been waiting for a Messiah as the Messiah, as the Christ, okay? Christ is just Messiah. That's what it means. I know a lot of you think that's Jesus's last name, okay? And somehow his middle initial became H, for some of you. I don't, I don't know how that happened either, but think about it, okay? It's not just a name, it's a title. It's actually a bold claim. We're introduced to Jesus as God's anointed one. So Matthew wants everyone to know that Jesus is related to all the right people. One of the prophecies about the Messiah is that he would come from King David's line. And he is the biggest hero of the Jewish people. And in your reading this week, you're going to find some stuff. My friend Mark Moore that wrote this book gives you some fascinating, nerdy Bible scholarship this week, okay? And there's math involved. And I think both things are unnecessary. Uh, uh, nerdy Bible scholarship and math, they're both unnecessary. But, but he does it anyway, okay? Then Matthew takes the very beginning of God's promise... And, and he goes back, he goes, starts with David, which is out of order, but he's the biggest guy. And then he goes back to Abraham because Abraham is the original one that God said, I will bless all of the people through you. And then he takes us person by person through the family tree and makes it clear that Jesus is connected to all the right people because that's what you usually want, right? And, and, uh, you know, uh, at some point, your family is going to do the whole genealogy thing. My parents have done it. I'll give you a few fascinating pieces about me. Sergeant William Harlow was not on the Mayflower, but he was one of the early settlers. And because of intermarriage, I have eight ties back to the Mayflower. Eight different family members. Beat that, okay? The Harlow House in the state of Maine is one of the oldest homes in the U.S., Okay? And my mom's relatives loaned money 
for the Revolutionary War to the rebels to help them buy weapons, which helped the, the, the rebels win that battle. I don't remember what, which one it was, but my mom assured me that it was the most important and the turning point of the Revolutionary War. Just, you know, just want you to know that. And when you start doing the DNA, it's fascinating because I have more British blood than my British son-in-law, okay? And now I'm related to Clint Eastwood, Christopher Reeve, Superman, Bing Crosby, Franklin Roosevelt, the George Bushes, and Hugh Hefner. <laughs> thanks, Dad. I don't know why you even put that in there, but, but thanks for leaving that. And I'm probably related to George Santos, but who would ever know? Too soon? Okay, all right. Back, back in Bible times, uh, when a king is, or an important person had their genealogy recorded, they would pay extra to leave out the bad stuff. But here's what's interesting about Matthew. Matthew does the opposite. Look at this. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob, okay? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You heard that over and over again. Jacob is the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Whoa, hold on. Mother? I know this doesn't make any sense to you, but, but Matthew does something that no one would have ever done in that day. He lists a woman in the genealogy of Jesus. And as you can see, it's not a part of the pattern, it's an add-on. I mean, whose mother was Tamar? Okay, then we go on. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. There's another one. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Matthew includes four women, but not just is he listing women that's so crazy. It's the women that he picks that make it so crazy. Let, let me tell you about this. Like, I'll start with Ruth because she's the least crazy of all of them. There's a book of the Bible called Ruth. It's really important, but, but Ruth was not Jewish. Ruth was a Moabite. She's one of those ites that you read about in the Bible, you know? The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Moabites. Ite? <laughs> Thank you. The Israelites hated hated the Moabites, okay? It was like the Hatfields and the McCoys. It was like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. It was like Harry and Meghan and the rest of the Royals. It was like Kanye and everyone else in the world. And Matthew goes out of his way to include a foreign woman in the Jewish genealogy. But again, it's a, it's a redemption story, so they're cool with it because she became Jewish. But, but you gotta go back up here to Rahab. Do you know what she did for a living? <laughs> Let me give you a hint. It's the oldest profession in the world. <laughs> Matter of fact, if you ever read this, in, I'm just going to leave it this way, in the, in the King James, you always, she was always referred to and is always referred to in the Bible as Rahab the harlot. Okay? And, and that's personal to me because when people were being mean to me growing up, they would call me harlot instead of Harlow. My roommate in Bible college still calls me harlot to this day. Not because of my behavior. He just wants to be me, okay? Rahab the prostitute. You see, when, when the children of Israel were coming into the promised land, Joshua sends two spies to check out Jericho, and they go and stay at Rahab's house. She actually would have probably been more like a madam, if you want to use the right terminology, because it wasn't unusual for men to be coming and going from her house. So they hid there as they were checking out Jericho. And through a really cool story, she becomes part of the family tree of Jesus. She gets saved from Jericho and becomes part of the, of the family tree of Jesus. So you got Rahab who, you know, becomes a part of it, and, and everybody knows that story, even though she's normally known as what she used to do. You got Ruth, who was a Moabitess, but, but you know, came along. And, and then you get down here, and this is the coup de grace right here. Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You know who that is? It's Bathsheba, okay? But in a way that seems 
blatantly disrespectful to their hero, King David, he doesn't say Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. He says Solomon, whose mother was Uriah's wife. So instead of talking about the great victories of King David as their greatest leader, he blatantly points out King David's greatest failure and scandal. And if you don't know the story, David stole Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and then killed Uriah to cover it up. Let me go back to the one that, that, I, that I skipped earlier, Tamar, though, okay? Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, okay? You're like, can this get any, can, can this get any worse? This one reads like an episode of Jerry Springer, you guys. I mean, Tamar's husband died, so her father-in-law is supposed to take care of her. And back then, women had to have a man to take care of them or they were in trouble, right? And her father-in-law is not taking care of her, so she dresses up like a lady of the night and waits until he's a little bit sheets to the wind and seduces her father-in-law and has a baby with him. Merry Christmas, <laughs> right? It's no wonder we skip the first 18 verses of Matthew 1 on Christmas morning, right? I mean, not only is it boring, it's like, hey, kids, before we open presents, let's read about Madam Rahab. Daddy, what happened to Uriah? I mean, we just don't want to deal with this stuff, right? So once you understand this, you have to ask yourself an obvious question. Why did Matthew include these shady characters in the Christmas story? And here's the reason. It's because they're the point of God's story. Matthew is showing that, that, that Jesus came through the Jewish line, but Matthew wanted them to understand that the Jewish line wasn't so great. He really wanted everybody to know this. Jesus didn't just come for sinners. He came from sinners. Jesus didn't just come for sinners. He came from sinners. He wants everyone to know that Jesus is connected to all the right people because then he can be the Messiah. But he also wants us to know that Jesus was connected to the wrong people. Because that makes room for you and me. In your readings this week, um, there are a few learnings from Scripture, and I want to highlight three of them. First of all, God uses people to accomplish his purpose. He, he didn't need to do that. God could have sent Jesus to the earth without being born into a family. You realize that, right? Because God can do whatever he wants. Jesus could have just appeared on the scene without being attached to a family tree. But God almost always uses people to accomplish his purpose. And here's what's cool about God. He uses our gifts, our successes, and our failures, and our past mistakes to accomplish his will. And that means all of the details of your life can be used by God. Paul wrote, furthermore, we are all united with Christ for we have received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance. He makes everything work out according to his plan. God uses people to accomplish his purpose. And secondly, the pre people God uses are always imperfect. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, okay? Dr. Martin Luther King was imperfect. Every person who's ever done any kind of good for the world was imperfect. And a lot of people are really imperfect. Think about the Bible heroes that he's already mentioned. Abraham, do you know that he slept with his wife's servant and then dumps her in the wilderness? I mean, it was the wife's idea, but still a bad one. And he lied about his wife also, you know, because she was beautiful and he didn't want to be killed because of his wife. So he lied and said she was his sister. That was Abraham. Isaac did the same thing because he learned it from his parents and he played favorites between Jacob and Esau and they became bitter enemies for 20 years. Jacob doesn't learn his lesson and he plays favorites, you know, Jacob, Jacob and sons, right? There's Joseph and the other 11 sons. 
and he shows favoritism to Joseph, so the brothers try to kill him. David, we've already mentioned, has an affair and commits murder to try to cover it up. But God redeemed the pain of all of those people, and he can do the same thing with you. Your pain and your mistakes can all be used for God's purposes. This was Jesus' message to the Apostle Paul, who had a hard time sometimes realizing that God should use him, because I don't know if you know his story, but before he was the Apostle Paul and wrote most of the New Testament, he was a Christian killer. That literally was his job, was to go around killing Christians and having Christians arrested. But one time when he was feeling bad because he didn't think he was worthy and he had some messed up stuff in his life, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. So God uses his people to accomplish his purpose and his people, the people God uses are imperfect and that means that life is not random. At first glance, this genealogy might look really random. And at first glance of your life, it might feel like it's really random, like your relationships are disconnected, like your choices don't matter, that it's all by chance. But the genealogy of Jesus teaches us that God has a plan and that you are a part of his plan. Matthew meticulously traces all of these names to Jesus, but it was God who wove the story together over thousands of years. And 2,000 years later, it still includes me and you. And here's why I know this. Because for Matthew, this was his story. Matthew's writing to the Jews, but do you remember or do you realize Matthew's story in the first place? Matthew had been a tax collector when Jesus called him. They had a special category for the baddest of bad people. They had sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. They didn't call out any other kind of sinner, just tax collectors and prostitutes. So when you're reading through the Bible, you realize that what they mean is like there's this general sinner thing. And then if you're a tax collector, you're lower than a regular sinner. Because that's how much they hated the tax collectors. They were Jews who worked for the Romans. And they would cheat their own people. And Matthew writes about the story later on. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. He's writing in the third person, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And guess what? Matthew's only friends were other people like him. So Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house and many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples, which of course the church leaders took offense to. So when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. And you would think this would offend Matthew and his tax collector buddies, but it didn't because you know what I've learned? Those people that are really far from God usually already know they're really far from God. And they're anxious to hear the good news, even from another imperfect person like you and me. I couldn't help but read this and not show you again. I showed it probably a year and a half ago the scene of Matthew's calling from the chosen. Um, just, just watch. Ma they, they portray Matthew as this uh, brilliant mathematician guy, maybe even slightly on the spectrum, and he is a tax collector because of his gift with numbers. And it's just a fascinating way they do it. But here's the calling. A mother of a son with talent like yours should be proud. She's ashamed that I could use the talent that God gave me against God. Next. You're good at something. You found a way to make a living doing it. It's that simple. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew.
Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. Glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. <laughs> that was so good. Come on. Uh, and, and did you get the little thing there? Like, well, you grabbed the tablet. I don't know. Perhaps you'll find use for it. Yeah, he did. He found use for it. Okay. Matthew understood probably more than Mark or Luke or John or any of the other disciples that Jesus didn't just come for sinners. He came from sinners. And here's the thing, you guys. We usually don't doubt God when things are good. Our faith is usually strong when everything is up and to the right. It's when bad things happen that we begin to question our faith. It's when life doesn't make sense that we think God is not involved or that he doesn't care. Maybe you're in that season right now. And today is a reminder that God can still use your life. The good, the bad, successes, the failures, our experiences and our heartaches, the seemingly random events of our life to bring about his purpose and his will, which means that God has a purpose for all of us. And I just don't think we understand it enough. I don't think we think about it enough. Kyle Eidelman, my friend down in, in Kentucky, wrote about one of his daughters. She was probably, I don't know, seven or eight, I'm guessing, spilled red nail polish on the white couch in the living room, you know, the one that you're not supposed to, that, that room that you don't even know why you have it because, you know, nobody's supposed to use it. And there's a white couch, which just further exemplifies the problem. And, and, and you know, they went through all this stuff, and then the daughter finally came clean. And, um, and he said, once she came clean, he said, my wife and I started remembering how Morgan, in the past few months, didn't even want to go in that room. At Christmas time, when we were opening presents in the room, she didn't want to open them in that room. She wanted to open them in the family room. When it was time to take family pictures, she didn't want to take them in that room. She wanted to go outside. And what they realized was that for months, she had been living with the fear of being found out. And I just wonder if that's maybe where some of us are at today. And every time she would go in that room, her heart would pound and she would think, what if somebody found out? What, what if somebody finds it? She'd flip the cushion over and was hoping to hide it. And maybe that's what you've been doing. Maybe you've been living intentionally trying to avoid places like this. And you've run away from God because you know, maybe nobody else does. And here's what Kyle wrote. I think a lot of us grew up thinking that God is like Santa. 
they both have these naughty and nice lists and they both know when you're sleeping and they know when you're awake they know if you've been bad or good, you know, for goodness sake, be good. And it's true that God does have every, that God does know everything in your life and nothing is hidden from him. He knows your thoughts, he knows your deeds. And it's actually also true that God has a list of people. Uh, he has a list of people. And on this list, he records the name of everyone who will spend eternity with him in heaven. And sometimes that list is called the Lamb's Book of Life. Every person's name is recorded in that book that will be in paradise. But here's what's really hard for us to understand about God's list. Getting on that list has nothing to do with being naughty or nice. It doesn't matter how good you are. You can't even earn your way onto God's list. It doesn't matter how bad you are or what you've done. God won't keep you from getting on that list. So how do we get our name on God's list? On the Lamb's book of life? Well, Romans 3 says that all of us have sinned. And Romans goes on to say in chapter six that the wages of sin is death and what we deserve for our sin is death. But then it says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we don't earn the gift. We don't deserve the gift. It's a gift, freely given, freely we receive it. So we can try to make up for our stains. We can scrub and scrub and try to get our stains out on our own but it's never gonna work. It's the gift that was given by God when he sent his son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world. Kyle went on to talk about how bad Morgan felt about the whole, whole experience, but then he said, I wish I could tell you that somehow we were able to get the stain out and make the couch white again, but that stain is still there and it'll always be there. But a funny thing happened. Morgan started telling the story of the stained white couch. Instead of trying to hide it, she started telling the story. And when I asked her if I could share it with all of you, he preaches to a large church in Louisville, she was excited. Because you see for her, that stain no longer represented guilt and shame. It represents grace and forgiveness. It represents freedom. It represents love. Father, thank you for the love and the grace and the freedom. Thank you for Matthew writing this story this way. I know most of us just skip over it and there's enough in the rest of the gospels to help us to know that you didn't come for the healthy, good people. You're a doctor, you came for the sick and we're all sick. But I'm so thankful, I'm, I'm so thankful that Matthew just went all the way to Uriah's wife to throw in there that you came from sinners and that we can be used no matter what's gone on in our life. And I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you are for sinners. And as we get ready for communion in a moment, help us not to forget why we do this every week, that it was your body and your blood that were shed for us that make all of this possible. Thank you for this amazing story. Thank you for being Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. And it's in your name that we pray. So like Tim said, we're gonna have communion now. Hopefully when you came in, you grabbed one of these packs. <clears throat> if you're around the building, I know we've got some around the building. And even if you're in the chapel, we'd love for you to join with us as well. Um, but like Tim said, you know, turn, turn to the person next to you and say, you're free. Right next to you, say, you're free. Has anyone ever said that to you before? I mean, you've been set free. You get this? I mean, that's what communion is all about. It's a chance for us to step in and just remember how incredibly God loves you. That he would come in, he would die for our sin, he would set you free. And that's a beautiful thing to give thanks for. So let's take a moment now to remember that, to give thanks for all God's done. I'll come back out in a minute. We'll take communion together.
Well, friends, this is the body of Christ given for you. Take and eat. Now the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for the way that you've stepped into this world. Thank you for setting us free. God, I pray that you'd help us to use our freedom to love the people that are around us. I pray that you help us to shine your light into a world that desperately needs to experience it. God, help us to spread the hope and the love that you've given to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Gang, I'm so glad you came this weekend. Hey, just two quick things before you go. Um, Those of you who call Parkview home, you've been here for quite a while and you come at the 10 o'clock service. Can I ask you a huge favor? Would you consider coming to the 8.30 or to the 11.30? I mean, seriously, if we're all about reaching people, I mean, look around, this building's full. We're in overflow today. So if you're here at Parkview, you've been here quite a while and you have the flexibility to check out the 8.30, 11.30, please do that for us. We'd love to create more space for people who wanna hear about God. Second thing is, real quick, as you leave, Quest 52 books are still available. Go grab one of those. And our groups team's out there. We'd love to talk to you about sign up for a group. So stop by the booth on your way out. All right? Hey, let's stand up together. May the Lord bless you. May He keep you. May He make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may He turn His face towards you and grant you peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Glad you came, guys. See you next weekend. Take care.